Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Junkies, where today's going to be a very interesting day, as it is each and every single week here at Talk Junkies. Uh, before we get into today's podcast, I just want to shoot out uh, a big shout out to Robert Ginsburg, who came on the show last week. Uh, we talked about his book, The Media, The Medium Explosion, and we just talked about life after death and how he thinks in his 20 years of research and being in this environment that there is something that happens after you die. So, Robert, thanks for joining Talk Junkies, man. Uh, it, was, it was a pleasure having you on in a great podcast. Today, we're going to rustle some feathers, man, and we'll see what platforms allow, allow, allows us to have this type of information on here. But I have a gentleman who used to be a Hollywood screenwriter turned medical freedom activist um, and now has a documentary called The Viral Delusion. And it just debuted, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's a, an extraordinary untold story of the profound fraud at the scientific heart of the pandemic. And we all know that to be the case. Um, so I'm excited to get into a little bit more of that. He has an MA in, in the Columbia University in the National Security Studies and spent two years as an analyst at the State Department. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining Talk Junkies, man. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's great. Rock on, man. Um, well, just tell us a little bit about your journey, man, um, and how you got to where you are and, and how the, the documentary came to be. Oh, God. I could talk for hours just about the journey itself. I don't even know where to begin. Um, a long time ago, I used to work for the government. Um very quickly grew frustrated and, you know, kind of like threw up my hands at, at, at the work there. Um, and, uh, I was, I was an analyst, I was a Middle East analyst and I, I was supposed to write about, um, how people in the Middle East felt about the world. And I just pretty quickly realized that everything that I was writing was just being used obviously for propaganda purposes and, so I left and sort of re-created um, a career as a screenwriter um, and uh, eventually I uh, was able to get you know, a movie made and have a little bit of a, a career there. Um, and, uh, uh, but at the same time, I had gone on this really long medical journey, journey um, that began really when my wife uh, became sick when she was uh, about 30 years old. And um, uh, that led us to uh, really have to think deeply about the medical system and how it works. Um, and then uh, just to, to sort of go in short, um, she, she came down with a really serious case of arthritis and she couldn't walk. Um, her knees were blowing up to like softballs and... Um, she started walking with a cane and, you know, she was only 30 years old and, um, she went to all the best, you know, uh, rheumatologists in New York city. And they all said the same thing, which is that, um, it's just a genetic thing and, um, there's nothing that they could really do. Uh, they were going to put her on a steroid treatment and, um, and then, which would just bring the inflammation down a little bit. And then, um, you know, just, they were like, buy a good cane because there's, that, that's it. Um, but we ended up, I ended up hearing on the radio, actually, uh, this uh, doctor who had, um, he had been the chief pathologist at a hospital in New York City and he had quit because he was so fed up with the medical system and what the standard of care prescribed, you know. And, um, and he'd started his own practice and I was like, wow, this guy actually sounds really smart. Like maybe we should go see him. 
And um, we went to go see him. And he asked my wife um, if she was an athlete. And she's not an athlete. Um, and, uh, and he said, well, what does your bathroom look like? And she's like, that's a really weird question, but I hate my bathroom. He said, yeah, is the paint peeling on the, on the walls? And, um, she said, yeah, it is. And he said, okay, look, you probably have a mold allergy. You probably have mold in your bathroom. And, you know, what I recommend is you just get out of that apartment and give it some time and you'll be fine. Um, so we did, we immediately got out of the apartment and she was fine and she's never, it's never bothered her again. You know, it's been 15 years. Um, so, uh, that really changed our perspective on, um, what the medical system has to offer, how the whole system works. Um, I remember he, he was a funny guy. He, 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 uh, he held our hands and, um, he said, come in here, come in here in a tiny little office. And he held our hands and he said, think about all the children that have died in the Iraq war. Think about all the children that have died in the sanctions to the Iraq war. He said that pales in comparison to the Lipitor scam alone. He said, be very wary of modern medicine. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. He said, the new, the new England Journal of Medicine it should be called the new Enron Journal of Medicine. And uh, I was like, this, this guy's fascinating. Okay. So my eyes had, were like open because I saw my wife go from hobbling down 6th Avenue in Brooklyn um, with a cane being told that she's going to, the only way that she would comfort would be to be put on steroids that seriously increased the risk of dying in her 50s to um, getting better by insightful analysis of her own environment. I think that's, and, I think that's a little, I mean, it, as these mainstream doctors, they should be more aware of those types of things because I feel like mold would be one of those like, uh, one of those signs that say, Hey, um, you know, it caught an allergic reaction would cause this type of thing. And those doctors didn't point that out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, I have a, a weird phone thing that's happening and I'm, I really apologize. Oh, you're, you're fine. I don't know how to uh, get rid of that noise. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to fix it for you. No worries. Okay. It seems like it went away. Um, but, but to go to one other doctor and then instantly he asked just a very uh, blatant question that should be asked. And then it, it takes care of your wife. I mean, that's, that's fantastic and amazing, man. Oh yeah. It was totally mind blowing. It was totally mind blowing. And, um, I, 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 I come from like, I grew up in Washington DC. I spent my whole life in, um, politics really. And when I went to work for the state department, I couldn't believe how many people who were working around me in government and, and just in the whole city would just kind of do their job without um, understanding that they were wearing blinders. They didn't even realize it, that they were wearing blinders. And they were just kind of eating the oatmeal that was the ideological oatmeal that was being given to them. And But it had never occurred to me that I was doing the same thing in the medical field. You know, when I thought about what medicine is, how, how, where that approach came from, what the history of it is, what the economics of it is, the whole field, I had no idea that the, the mainstream way of thinking about that is actually the super provincial 
system that's been inculcated for more than 100 years. So well, that's by design. Guy, that's by design, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's completely by design. I mean, it's it, it was aggressively created. The system was aggressively created. So um, but I, I didn't know that. And, and and so it was only when when I saw firsthand um, the what happened to my wife that I was able to s start to step back and say, what's going on here, actually? How does this system work? And then when, when my son, uh, when my wife was pregnant with my son, um, we decided to look at uh, the vaccine issue because I now, both of us felt, hey, you know what? We should take everything seriously. Every decision we need to, to thoroughly think about and do our research and then make an informed decision. And um, I was a little bit trepidatious because I'm, uh, you know, I come from a really like, you know, kind of mainstreamy, normy background, you know. And um, but it was like, no, that's we sh we should do this, you know. And what I found there just totally blew my mind. I mean, it was just like night and day to what the the what I had been taught, you know. As and 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 most of the things that we learn are are not taught to us directly they're just sort of in the you know they're in the atmosphere and um but it becomes common knowledge you know the 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 importance of vaccines right it's um now today in today's world this you know people are hit over the head with this ideological hammer but you know growing up it was more diffuse and but it's still there um, but what, what I learned was that um, was not only that, that vaccines are far, far, far more dangerous than um, than, you know, what we're told. Um, but but actually the history of their effectiveness is a sham. And that really blew my mind. That, that, that was like a huge uh, eye opener for me because, you know, I always thought, oh, Vaccines are the things that protected us from polio or vaccines are the things that protected us from smallpox. And, you know, I hadn't even heard of things like pertussis, you know, and, and other diseases that, are, that, they, that vaccines claim to have um, wiped out. Um, but the historical record shows that that's just not the case. That's, that's not true. And that was really interesting to me. So there were all these developments uh, over, over time um, that that. I I've had all these experiences where I started to apply this thinking and I and I, I'm learning and I'm and my I'm getting healthier, my family's getting healthier. Um I, I could talk for I literally could talk for hours and hours just about that. Well, so um, two things on that real quick. So whenever we had our first daughter, you know, we my wife was kind of where you were at when you know, like a nor like a mainstream normie, if, if that's what you call it. And I was always hesitant to it, like just watching them, you know, administer a vaccine into my child. It was just made me very uncomfortable. And I just didn't know how to combat that with my wife at the time. So we did do a few of a few rounds of it on our first child. And I remember, I think it's when I, when it kind of woken up, woke up my wife, we're at our, our, our second pediatrician, I believe it was because the first one wouldn't let us uh, go into their practice unless they got the flu vaccine or the flu shot. And we were like, no, no, or she's way too young for that. We're not going to do it. But it was the second one. And I was like, Hey, can you tell me what the ingredients are and in, in the shot you're about to give my daughter? 
And she's like, well, you'd have to go to uh, cdc.gov and, and read it on there. I'm like, well, you're the pediatrician admi- administering this vaccine. Can you please tell me what's in it? She's just like, no, I can't. Well, then like, well, we'll, we'll hold off on it. And then she uses scare tactics to say, hey, well, we just had this patient in last week with a kid and the kid died because they didn't get this vaccine. And, it, you know, it's just it, they use scare tactics because it's, it's it's about money. And they and whether you believe it or not, these pediatricians are getting money for administering these vaccines. But my, the second thing I wanted to ask you real quick is, have you heard of Dr. Paul Thomas, the pediatrician? I have, but it's been a long time. Yeah, so he was he did the um, the study on unvaccinated children versus vaccinated children. Yeah, then, he has a practice in California, right? I think Oregon, but he uh, he wrote a yeah. book and then they he tried to do a he tried to do a peer reviewed article and then they took his practice away or his license. Yeah, and I think that I mean his you know his study was was really um, interesting because he was looking at his own clientele. You know, he he, he literally you know. He didn't have to worry about economic differences or uh, location differences or anything like that because he was literally just looking at thousands of people that were coming into his practice. And then he divided divided them up into those who'd been vaccinated and those who who had not. And then he looked at their general health and the general health of the unvaccinated was just, you know, far superior and they're much healthier people. I I have a friend who's a doctor. um, uh, She uh was a doctor in uh, upstate new york and she was so blown away uh by what she had been reading that she decided to do a study of every um every unvaccinated uh child in um in ulster county which is the county that we lived in um because she wanted to file a lawsuit against the city against the state and um you know she found the exact same thing which is that um the the the, the rates of sickness among the vaccinated are, you know, just far, far higher, sometimes two, three, sometimes 10 times higher, um, you know, whether it comes to, um, you know, asthma or, or ADHD or, I mean, it's just like a, a million. And my wife's a reading uh, teacher and uh, she's, she, you know, one of her uh, areas of expertise is, is teaching kids with dyslexia. And, um, you know, she was looking into the history of dyslexia. Uh, if you go to the dyslexia foundations and so on, they'll tell you it has nothing to do with the vaccine. And, you know, you'll get your um, your Snopes articles and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's highly related to peanut allergies, which uh, are correlated to the vaccine. It's a neurological condition. Um, and, you know, what we what we know is that uh, aluminum in the brain will create uh, uh, neurological difficulties. So th- the idea that they would just rule that out um, is absurd. It's totally absurd. And um, I mean, it just goes, the list goes on and on and on and on and on about the health differences. But that none of that really surprised me when I was doing my research. You know what I mean? Um, what surprised me was that the, the effectiveness is the stories of, of the effectiveness are also a, a scam. They're, 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 they're manufactured marketing. And um, what, when you put those two things together, I mean, you know, the, the, the drug companies love to say safe and effective. And the, the fact is they're neither safe nor are they effective. Um, and it's not surprising because the whole thing um, – you know, if you go back into the history of it and, and you actually read 
uh, about, you know, Edward Jenner, who, who created the first, you know, smallpox uh, vaccines in, you know, in the 1700s in, in England. Uh, I mean, the guy was the guy was a maniac and, and he was a liar and he had a fraudulent science. Um, and, you know, it, the, the entire history of this thing is totally covered up. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's been an amazing like journey to unpack, unpack it all. You know, it's like, you can't, you can't turn around without finding a, a fascinating book that, that will delve into the history of, you know, Jenner or Pasteur or, um, you know, the Spanish flu or, you know, anything in this, in this story. So let's let's get into the beginning stages of the documentary. It's a five part series, which you can get on on the website for I believe eleven ninety nine. I still haven't got a chance to check it out, uh, but I, I definitely plan to because I'm very very interested in it. So let's just start from the beginning, man. Um, where, where do you want to get into it? When it comes to COVID, man, there I feel like people people in our realm of conspiracy, if that's what you want to call it, they kind of pretty much they know quite a bit about the scam of of COVID. Um, but what does your docu- documentary bring to the table? Oh, great! Um, you know, what, let me um, let me let me just close my door for a second, sure, and then we'll and we'll dive in. Yeah. Hey, man. Okay, sorry about that. Brief no worries. Break. Um, so, yeah, if people are, are if people are familiar with you know all of the fraud behind the pandemic, um, I think they'll they'll really appreciate that, that that there's a foundational flaw behind the whole thing, which is that um, the question of the virus itself. Um, so, what we do in the first episode of uh, of the documentary series uh, is is take a look at the foundational papers in which they claimed that they had found a new virus that was responsible for a new disease. And what you discover if you, if you dive into those papers is that they had never discovered a new virus. In fact, the, the entire idea that there are these little things called viruses which cause disease, that whole concept is built on pseudoscience. It's a manufactured pseudoscience that began uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, but really uh, was the result of these pseudoscientific fantasies in the 1950s. And um, they played a, 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 a huge role in selling modern medicine uh, to people since the 1950s. Um, and they, 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 you know, the, the field of virology has received, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars. It, it used to be this little backwater sort of theory. It became this central focus um, of, of uh, you know, infectious, so-called infectious disease uh, in the 50s during, during the polio uh, scare, which we can talk about. Um, but, but, you know, in, in the doc, we interview a number of fantastic uh, scientists who take apart these these papers, uh, which are used to justify the claim that they actually found a virus. So, you know, uh, just brilliant people like Dr. Andrew Kaufman, um, who's a, a psychiatrist who did his 
undergraduate training in biology at MIT, uh, Dr. Tom Cowan, um, Dr. Stefan Lanka, who was a former virologist who left the field uh, because he realized it was pseudoscience, uh, Dr. Stefano Scolio, who was nominated for the Nobel Prize by the U.S. Assistant uh, Surgeon General, um, uh, Kevin uh, uh, Corbett, who uh, is a nurse uh, PhD, who uh, was one of the uh, first nurses to work um, uh, right at the center of the AIDS crisis in the 80s uh, and has uh, been following um, the uh, this issue ever since. Um, so it's uh, Celia Farber, who's one of the greatest journalists in the country, who's been covering uh, Fauci since the early 80s. Um, just this, there's there's a litany of brilliant doctors and scientists who um, who 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 understand the fraud, but who aren't given any media attention whatsoever. I mean, they are completely blacked out. And um, I didn't know if anyone was even going to like pick up the phone when I called them, um, but they were actually all thrilled to speak because um, they were, you know, they were being so heavily censored. Um, so we take a look at um, at you know at at how this story about a virus was fabricated. How did that story evolve? What were the so-called scientific experiments um, uh, that were used to justify this story, and then how did it how how did that spin out? Um, and um, I think once you uh, once you see <laughs> The, the fraud at the heart of this thing, uh, you'll, you'll never look at the world the same way. No, for sure. I, I think I've actually heard of uh, Andrew Kaufman. I, I reached out to him a few times because he was doing quite a bit of interviews at the onset of, of COVID going on. I remember, Within the circle of, of my YouTube algorithms or my echo chamber, he was doing interviews with those, with those people. Very fascinating guy. Um, so you talk about the beginning stages and how it became to be a story. And I remember, you know, a few months before it actually was a story or uh, before it was a story, you saw the person who made the, um, who made the PCR test actually passed away in August, the year before COVID actually became a thing. And that was like my first red alarm. And not only that, but then you had the, the war games that went on in China and they talked about where they had a newscast and it was a, you know, it was all like a, a movie set where they were talking about basically COVID. And those were like, like the two first things for me, where that's kind of like the beginning stages. Is that kind of where you're at or, or is there something else that, that set it off for you? Um, no, no, that's it. That's it. I mean, if you look up like, like the uh, German journalist, Paul Schreier, um, he actually has traced the war games back to the, um, the late nineties. Um, so the, the, it was in the late nineties that they, um, that uh, a group of major foundations, the Wellcome Trust, the Gates Foundation, the Ford's Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, um, I think there might be one more, got together with um, people in the uh, intelligence community. And they began to um, manufacture this idea that there could be a biosecurity threat. And they started these war games. And, and um, it was at that point in time that they also contributed money and "Quote unquote expertise to setting up a new institute at Johns Hopkins, um, which uh, became um, the the center for organizing all of this. 
And um, you can you can trace those. So Schreyer has gone back and he's traced them on. It's well worth you know it's it's worth it to look him up um, because you know you can see the the evolution of these war games for uh, for quite a long time. Um, I mean we we look at that in in a number of different ways. I mean also uh, you you had the the avian flu and you had the swine flu and these so-called epidemics in which, uh, you know, they never, you know, the whole thing petered out, the whole thing disappeared. They, they, they ramped up the, the media attention. Everybody's going to die. Millions of people are going to die. You've got to take the vaccine. Very few people take the vaccine. And what happens? Nothing happens. The media attention on the issue goes away because everybody's fine. Right. But within the halls of power, these, moments in time were actually used and analyzed. So like Stefan Lanka talks about um, uh, how in the German health register, um, there, there, there's an article that in which their uh, you know, people from these foundations and from major pharmaceutical companies got together and they said, what went, what went wrong with swine flu? Now, to a normal person, what went wrong with swine flu? Nothing. People didn't take the, the jab and they were fine, right? So it's, it should be what went right <laughs> yeah. with swine flu. The whole thing disappeared. But from their perspective, it was what went wrong because they didn't have a vaccine uptake that they wanted from a sales perspective. And, and what, one of the things that they um, decided and is printed in that, in that health register is that there was too much disagreement among the scientific community about the uh, efficacy of this thing, whether, whether it's worth it, you know, to take their jab. And so in the future, they would have to make sure that they censored all doctors who didn't align with the sales pitch. And then another thing was that there was too much disagreement on the internet. So they would have to find ways to block out, you know, that kind of disagreement. So. Um, yes, you know, the, the event, you know, uh, 201 in, you know, October of 2019, in which they are doing, um, you know, w which they literally have, you know, coronavirus plushies in which they're handing out to business leaders and media leaders and, and, and political leaders in order to prepare them for this upcoming pandemic. That's very real. But that was only the tip of the iceberg. There's actually a, a huge history of meetings uh, that, that 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 were going on for twenty, you know, over twenty five years uh, on this topic, and that is just the propaganda side. That's just a piece of the propaganda side, because there's even more fundamental work that was being done um, in order to prepare the scientific community. Is there a paper, roll is there a paper trail on that? Well, there's there's once you once yeah once you see it. Um, it's the paper trails right out in the open. It's like the best way to hide something is just to put it right out in the open. So the paper trail in many ways is simply reading the journal articles in, uh, you know, that, that were published in order to create the, uh, belief that there was a new coronavirus or a coronavirus at all that's floating out there making people sick. Um, so that's, 
I mean, that goes again, that goes back to, to the 1950s to, um, you know, a, a, a paper that was written in which essentially the first um, foundational piece of pseudoscience was put together. And um, and but even in that paper, it's admitted that the science is not strong enough to say we've discovered a virus, but it doesn't matter. They they they, they make the claim. They say we probably discovered a virus and boom, based on that, there's all sorts of, um, you know, there's there's all sorts of of, uh, of money that comes flowing in. Um, but the the, you know. The paper trail and the other stuff is also it's out there in the open once you understand how to read it. So if you look at like Eco Health Alliance, like what were they doing in Wuhan, right? Like everybody's really into this lab leak thing, right? Um, this is growing with like huge, you know, I think there's like 70 percent of the country that thinks that, you know, there, there was a virus that leaked from a lab. And, and that's why that's why we went through the, the, the covid narrative, you know, starting in 2019. Um, which is garbage because there's no, there's no reason to think there was a virus at all. There's, there's, there's no scientific support for that. Um, but what were they doing in Wuhan when they, um, you know, what was the CIA doing through EcoHealth Alliance in Wuhan? Well, what they were doing is they were cataloging bat RNA is one of the things they were doing, for example. Right. So, they were they were creating a scientific database through which their organizations could then compare human RNA in order to claim that they had a coronavirus. Okay, so they were training people at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in how to sequence human RNA and then compare it to animal RNA in order to claim that you have a coronavirus. They were developing software at Johns Hopkins to use to take human RNA, to compare it to animal RNA, to claim that you have a coronavirus. They were training doctors in Wuhan to send blood samples to the Institute of Virology if they saw sick people so that these processes could unfold. In other words, they were building an, an entire infrastructure for creating a, a pseudoscientific justification for a pandemic. What they were not doing was actually creating a fictional entity. We have no reason to believe that they actually created it. They were, they were actually trying, but we have no reason to believe that they actually created something that flew around the world and made people sick. Because if you look at the statistics on how people died, if you look at um, the mortality figures around the world, both in location and timing, there was no contagious virus. There was just a media storm. Well, I think the, the first telltale of that was right on the onset of, of COVID, you see, you know, the propaganda being pushed on on video of just people dropping like flies in China, you know, and that, that was a scare tactic that everyone, you know, whenever I saw that, I was like, holy shit, this is the real deal. Like, we need to be careful what's going on. I'll be honest, I had a little fear at, at the very 
initial stage when they shut the whole country down and I was working in a restaurant where I wasn't able to serve people inside. It was all to go food. Like I was a little bit scared, but then as time went on and I started seeing past it, you know, I was just like, people aren't dropping like flies here. Like where, where's the difference? Absolutely. I mean, the dropping like flies thing is, is a perfect example of that because, you know, I remember seeing those videos too. We would literally see people collapse on the street, right? And it was said that, oh, this is, you know, this is the new disease. Well, you know, the, the, they, they never went so far as to, to claim that, um, that, <laughs> that this so-called disease COVID would suddenly make you collapse and fall over, right? That once we got to about February, March, April, all the stories about people just suddenly collapsing and falling over in the street, those stories went away, right? But they, they had been used to generate all of this, this hype. Well, when do we see people start collapsing? We see people start collapsing in 2021 when they're getting the new so-called mRNA jabs, and they fall over. Well, if you go back and you look at the history of Wuhan, Wuhan had actually instituted a new policy in 2019 that they were going to wildly increase their uh, flu vaccination campaign. So the, the, the most likely scenario is that it was those new flu shots that were leading to the collapse that we all these you know people falling over in the street just like it did in 2021 in the rest of the world but it was used as a sales pitch to sell people not on the dangers of vaccines it was used as a sale pitch to sell people on the dangers of so-called covid and and we saw that again and again and again in the very beginnings of uh what happened in wuhan and it was just you know it, it, it's just, it's just, you, there's, you can't pick up a rock in this story and not find worms underneath in terms of the fraud, um, or, or just mistaken beliefs. Um, you know, like they, the first three patients that came in, um, that were, uh, analyzed, uh, in, in, um, in the first paper that came out of Wuhan on this, you know, it was three people came in. And they had a cough and a fever. And um, two of them got better from their cough and a fever in like three days. And they left. And they were fine. The third guy, we don't know what would have happened to him. Because at that point, the doctors, (laughs) they theorized that maybe there was a new... uh, so-called virus that was attacking these three people. And they thought maybe it might be like SARS, which is a whole other story, which we can talk about. And so because they thought that might be the case and they were worried that this man's breathing might infect them, they put him on a ventilator and he died. And we later learned that 88 to 95% of people who were put on ventilators died. And it's, it's tragic. I mean, it's mind blowing, but do, do any of these three first cases, do, do they, do they tell us anything about a new COVID disease? No, 
Not at all. We have two people who get better and one person who's killed by a ventilator. And these are supposed to be the first three cases of COVID upon which the, the story is built. And then the word gets out in, in Wuhan that if you have a cough or a cold, it might be SARS and you might die right away. And there's like a 40% chance that you might die. Like that, that goes out. So the hospitals are, are immediately flooded in Wuhan. The New York Times comes in and they do an editorial piece, a video editorial piece on these, you know, flooded hospitals. And they show pictures of, you know, people banging on walls because they're so terrified. And they cut the whole thing into like a five minute video episode that they put right, you know, at the top of the New York Times website. And they set the whole thing to horror music. Now, I've been... Sadly, I spent many years of my life reading that stupid newspaper, and I'd never, ever seen them set anything to horror music before. But they knew right away that that's how they should do it. So, I mean, there's even if you look at the cinematography of the news coverage from the very beginning, even if you look at the first cases of, um, that are called COVID, if you look at the scientific papers, if you look at the history, there's... There's not a single aspect of this thing that actually rings true. Well, you look at you start to look into just whether you've been, whether you've taken the blue pill or not, right? Because like you said for a long time you you didn't feel that way and you were working amongst people who were the same way. They just went to their job, they did their job and they didn't see past anything. But man, even before COVID, when you're watching, I don't care if it's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, any of any of the major news networks, they, they're all that way. They all do that type of cinematography, you know, theatrical type of things. But you, the biggest thing for people, and, and they can't seem to, to look past it, is when James O'Keefe exposed it. And, you know, during COVID, where, where they, they have undercover people talking to people who work at CNN, saying that this is what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, put fear into people, and they're going to put a death toll number on the bottom and always update it and make sure that it's always updated to put fear into people. That's what they do. That's what they do. I mean, there was a book that came out in England um, because uh, it was it, the 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 minutes came out of a committee that had been formed in London, where you know the health bureaucrats got together with uh, the MI6 and they sat around a table trying to figure out how do we scare people better. And you know the quotes are in the book; <laughs> it's right there for people to see. Um, it, it's just. You know, or, or lately we're getting these tweets, you know, that um, when are we going to deploy the next variant? You know, that was from the British health minister deployed in order to, you know, drum up fear, which would, of course, drum up vaccine uptake. Um, it, you know, it's so in, in your in your opinion, is, is that the end goal, though, is the end goal? They want to put this new mRNA technology into people because you look back at Bill Gates TED talk about five or six years ago where he specifically talks about uh, the population being too much and we need to start working on depopulation and we're going to do that through vaccines. And he believes that we can um, decrease population of the world by administering vaccines by, I forget what percent he said, I want to say like five to 10% somewhere in that range. Um, is is the goal depopulation or is it just putting new technology into the, into the human DNA? I mean, all I can do is guess. Sure, no, for sure, I, yeah. I mean, all I can do is guess. I think that um, it's it's inarguable that there are numerous characters uh, involved who have a history of um, saying that they want to contain or reduce the population of the world. 
So, you know, it's not just Gates, it's, it's also the head of the Wellcome Trust. Um, it's also, uh, I believe the people at AstraZeneca, um, you know, it's also, um, you know, you go back to like 19, the 1970s and the National Security Council, you know, um, puts out a memorandum saying that, you know, from now on it is national policy to uh, reduce the world's population, right? So there, there's ample reason to believe that. I mean, if you look at, you know, um, what is it? The, the, the head of, um, I think it's the head of uh, Moderna uh, got his, you know, how did he become the head of Moderna? He came up with a, a, a so-called vaccine that you could inject um, uh, animals with, I think it's hamster, that would sterilize them, right? That it was that that creation where they said, "Oh, we want you to be the head of a vaccine company." Wow, you figured out how to sterilize hamsters. Hamsters, bam! We want you to be the head of the, this, you know, massively important um, pharmaceutical company. There's, you know, um, decades of. Um, of journalism in Africa where they, they've looked at, you know, did the um, vaccines that were passed out in Eastern Africa um, affect fertility rates? And the answer was yes. So there was, there were, there were clear efforts to do that. There were, there, there's been journalism in India where they're saying, you know, did, did the vaccines affect fertility rates? So I, I, I think it's, you know, you have to put two and two together. I mean, you know what I mean? At, at the end of the day, like there are, there are people who are at the very top of this thing who are all professing the desire to reduce the world's population. And then you have a history of experiments on reducing the world's population. And then you look at the studies of this so-called vaccine um, and, and what do you find? You find unbelievable effects on fertility. I mean, unbelievable, massive, um, you know, uh, God, I mean, it was even in like the, the main study that was done in order to, uh, justify two, um, uh, obstetricians that the vaccine was safe, like the study pointed to in which it was said that the vaccine was safe for pregnant women turned out there was a quote unquote data mistake and, um, the vast majority of women um, who who took the injection um, lost their babies. So uh, it, it's just, I mean, it just, you know, it was like through the roof. So, and we're seeing all sorts of fertility numbers coming out about um, declines in fertility uh, and, and problems uh, with the injection. So I think that, um, I, I think it's hard to dismiss that theory. Um, I mean, certainly as a responsible human being, I, I would like, you'd have to be kind of like batshit out of your mind to inject this into yourself if you were even thinking about someday having a child, right? Yeah. So I guess going a little bit into the mRNA and why maybe that's the case, because um, <clears throat> I'm not going to mention who, I mean, I have a chiropractor, I go and see him. And, you know, I recently went to see him and I, I was curious I was like, Hey man, did you take the jab? And he's like, yeah, man, I did. And you know, I was surprised by that because most chiropractors aren't into the, into that type of medicine. And he's like, yeah, he's like, actually, you know, I, I've met someone through Pfizer through this company and they're on the sales team or whatever. And they were trying, he was like, he was like, 
basically the reason that we're having um, these blood clots in people is because whenever he said that they were rushing the shot, he said, basically, this is what the Pfizer guy told him. He said, you know, whenever you give someone a shot, you're supposed to do it a specific way. And if you mess that way up, it can mess with the main vein that it hits. And he's saying that there was too many rush shots and that's what's causing blood clots. And I was like, that just sounds like um, just a, an excuse, you know, that they're trying to come up with to, to calm people down about it. Sure. I mean, right. Like, I mean, that does that does that hold up to the 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 uh, the other injections that people get? Right. Right. So that, that would be that, that would be the argument that um, that this shot is, you know, the same as other shots. But the problem is that it's being rushed or something like that. Something something kind of I mean, for sure, there's a problem if you rush a shot. If you if you inject something directly into a large vein, uh, yeah, you're going to. You could kill somebody. Absolutely. Um, but is that the only problem with the shots or the claim that that's the only problem with the shots? Would Well, then why didn't we see blood clots with the flu vaccine? Why didn't we see flu, uh, blood clots with the measles vaccine, right? So this this particular vaccine is different. And, you know, I at, at first I thought maybe they're just trying to make money, right? Maybe that's the only aim is they just want to make like, you know, $100 billion, call it a day. Awesome. It'll cost them like $20 billion in payouts to, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know. Well, they have immunities. But they have immunities. And no, no, no. But like, oh, they've got a, you know, like you hear, you want to hear a sad story just as a tangent? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm friends with um, a guy who he works with the mentally disabled and um, he's a consultant for them. And we were talking about the whole thing. And he was like, man, you know, I, uh, I gotta say, actually, I made a, I made a deal with the devil. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, when this whole COVID thing hit, I, um, the CDC came and they, they offered me a million dollars to recommend the vaccine to all the mentally disabled. Oh my God. And I took it, you know, I was like, wow, wow. You know, so that's going on in the background, right? So they're spending money to get shit done in the background, right? But um, they're making a ton of money. But I don't think they're just trying to make money because if they were just trying to make money, they would have just given everybody a saline shot. And that would have been that. Because nobody would have gotten sick. And they could have claimed victory. Right. They'd have been like, look, nobody got sick. Our super awesome, you know, techno jab, like, was amazing and... And they and it would have been like a huge success, right? And they would just lowered the the um, you know lowered the cycle count on PCRs, and everybody would have tested positively. Um, another tangent. I was just talking to a guy, a friend of mine, yesterday, and um, and uh, and he runs um, my my friend's friend used to um, like sell film rights for um, stadiums. And so when COVID hit and the stadium shut down, he lost all this business. And he was looking around like, what should my new business be? And he was like, oh, COVID testing. I'll get into COVID testing. So we bought like two COVID testing machines and he set up um, in, 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 uh, in front of um, uh, some large, very, very large businesses. And the businesses paid him like $100 a test for all their employees and he would just ask the employees as they came in, what do you want your test to be today? 
go ahead and pause it for now. You know, do you want to go to work or you want the day off? You know, because you can you can manipulate that with cycle counts. It's like super easy, you know. So anyway, that was just an aside of the madness, the complete madness that we live in. But to go back, so if they just wanted to make money, they would have just lowered the cycle counts on the PCR, called everybody healthy, injected everybody with saline, everybody would have been fine, and that would have been that. And they would have a huge following for their for their jabs in the future, right? But they didn't. That, that's not what happened. What happened is they, they injected people with something. And now even they admit, it doesn't stop you from getting sick. It doesn't stop the people around you from getting sick, right? And the, obviously, we're seeing lots of people get sick from the jet, right? With, with heart conditions, with, uh, you know, collapsing, you know, we're seeing people on the news collapse constantly. We're seeing athletes collapse and die. We're seeing um, fertility rates go down. We're seeing cancers uh, increasing. Um, and that's just the stuff, you know, off the top of my head, right? So I think that they, they do have a larger bio, biochemical agenda on people, Um I think fertility is an obvious one um, to be looking at. And then, you know, you get into the people with like, you know, Mac addresses when they show up next to, you know, Wi-Fi readers. I, I don't know. What do you think is going on? Well, so for me, like, you know, I, I, I kind of – it was really weird for me because I was like – at first I was very hesitant to believe that it was a thing, you know. Like I thought that people were just getting the flu and, and, and all of those types of things. And then my wife's sister, you know, she lost her smell and taste. And I was like, oh, that's bullshit. She didn't lose her smell and taste. I was like, put, you know, a piece of dog shit right in front of her face. I guarantee she smells it. Well, then, you know, about a year and like four months ago, I lost my smell and taste. Like I, I had gotten briefly sick. You know, it was, it was nothing major. You know, I had the cold sweats, the little hot, little uh, loss of sleep for one night. And then that was it. But then I still don't have my smell and taste, you know. So I guess for me is... I'd have to kind of look into it because people said that they lost their smell and taste before COVID was actually, you know, brought up and was mainstream. Um, and, you know, you have long COVID now and all those types of things. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you as well. I think something happened with, with these vaccines and it, it's affecting people. I never got the, the shot. So I don't know if shedding's a type of thing that can happen. Um, I've had the flu, you know, when I was younger and never lost my smell and taste, maybe briefly, but not for a year, you know. So that's kind of where it gets weird for me, you know, on on those types of things. Yeah, I mean, I think this, so this is the kind of thing where I think what the doctors and scientists in my documentary are saying becomes super important um, because it, 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 it goes back to changing the whole way you think about uh, disease and medicine in terms of like what happened to my wife, okay, where you get sick and you think, Oh my God, I'm going to think about this in terms of the, the medical system way. And I'm going to go down that road and, and hopefully they'll get me better. Oh my God, they've, they've got this thing where they can inject me with steroids and I feel a little bit better. This is so good. Thank you so much. You know, and whereas if you step back and you can look at it from a larger perspective, um, it's not clear to me whether or not um, losing your sense of smell and taste when, whether those rates went up in 2020 or not, okay, um, there are lots of 
articles, news stories about this kind of thing happening far before COVID. Something like 15 to 20% of people every year will lose their sense of smell and taste for a prolonged period. And okay. I and I, I looked I looked for that online. You can't find. I mean, if you look up before, like you you can't do a Google search and say loss of smell and taste, and you won't find any of those articles that you just described. It's all COVID related. No, it's all COVID related now. It's all been covered. I mean, try Yandex. Try doing the same thing on Yandex. You know, um, but um, but uh, that being said, I think the more important point is let's assume that people did start start losing the sense of smell and taste in 2020, right? And now let's think about that from a larger perspective. Is a new virus a, a potential cause of that? Is it the only potential cause of that? Is there reason to believe that that would be a good cause versus other causes? And when you step back, you start saying, hey, first of all, there's no scientific paper in which they actually found a virus. So to theorize that that's the cause, you're on super shaky grounds, right? Scientifically, you're, you're in an area where it could be, or it could be little tiny dwarves that fly through the air and you know run up your nose. Like that's also possible, right up there with the so-called SARS-CoV-2 virus. But when we're actually taking our health seriously and our politics seriously, we have to think about what else could it be. And there's lots of other things that can cause you to lose your sense of smell and taste. A big potential one is the mass uh, increase in glyphosate that's out there now, right? So they're spraying fields, they're spray, spraying cornfields with glyphosate. Uh, that corn becomes ethanol. That ethanol is put in gasoline. That gasoline is then uh, burned out of the back, of, you know, uh, in your car, and that exhaust is everywhere. So ethanol rates have gone. Ethanol rates in gasoline have gone up consistently, and the amount of glyphosate in ethanol has skyrocketed. Right. Well, breathing an insecticide every day, all the time. Yeah, that's going to affect your smell and taste, right? That's a that's a a potential thing to think about as a society. Maybe that maybe that might impact that, right? Or, um, you know, fracked gasoline. We, you know, for the first time in like 2018, 2019, like in New York City, they're burning fracked natural gas. Okay, and when you, when you acquire natural gas through fracking, you have to use all sorts of incredibly toxic chemicals to get that natural gas out of the ground. And those chemicals are never fully you know, taken out of that natural gas. So when they burn it at a large power plant outside of New York City, in order to power New York City, for the first time ever, people are are breathing in chemicals that humanity's never breathed before. So, you know, we can go on and on and on about the different potential causes for why we're getting sick. And I hope that if my documentary series can do anything, it can start to switch things around so that when people get sick, 
when they have real problems, whether it's childhood paralysis and, you know, and polio in the 1950s or whatever, or, or losing your sense of taste and smell now, when people get real sicknesses, they can ask real questions and get real answers instead of the mythical, you know, gobbledygook that's handed to them. And they can actually get better. No, 100%. There's a spiritual warfare that's going on. Um, and, and, and it seems like whenever I do podcasts, that's what it always comes back to is just the spiritual warfare that's happening here in the West, um, particularly because I don't live in any, any other country, obviously. And I'm not entirely sure how they do things in, in you know in other countries, but it's, it's way different, man. I feel like people are way more spiritual. But the West is trying to take the spirituality out of, out of the whole world, honestly, in my opinion. When you look back before the Rockefellers got involved in medicine, and you see these witch hunts for, 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 for people who were practicing good medicine for people and making people better. Um, it, it just, it, it, begs, it begs me to wonder, you know, what life was like before the Rockefellers got involved and, and, and even the Rothschilds, you know, all these, these rich elite, you know, that, that's just kind of where it gets me. And it's frustrating, it's dismal. But I guess for me, like the, the biggest thing is they shut down the world. You know what I'm saying? Like that's like the most impressive thing that these rich elite have done is put everyone in their houses. And depending on what country you're from, the extent of, of which you experienced the lockdown varied, but it was still a lockdown mainly for everyone. It was nuts, Michael. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, like, dude, I, we live in the Midwest. Um, luckily, in, in the county that I live in, we never had a mask mandate, which was fantastic. You know, you still wondered when you would go into places like, should I have a mask on or should I, have, or should I not? And it got to a point where I'm like, fuck it, dude. I'm not wearing a mask anymore. I'm done. This is bullshit. And people look at you weird. But that's what they did, man. Psychologically, they broke us down. They literally shut down the whole world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's, it's totally unbelievable. I mean, when you, when you think about what they were able to pull off. Um, but they, you know, the mask thing was a big part of it. I saw, I saw this study. I remember a long time ago seeing this study that said, if you scare people, then um, they, they'll only be scared for a little while unless you can give them something to do in response to the fear, okay? Because if you just scare people and you don't offer them something to do, then at some point that people just say, okay, well, fuck it. I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? It's kind of like nuclear annihilation, right? There was like this fear of nuclear annihilation when I was growing up, and but there was nothing you could do about it. So you didn't really change your life. Nothing really changed, you know? But with the COVID narrative, the mask thing was this brilliant intervention. So they scared the hell out of people. And then they said, hey, but you can do this thing, this, this thing that will save you and your family and your friends and everything. And you can just put this mask on. And that way they could get people to live with this consistent fear and, and just keep the issue going. Now, every, I mean, most of us knew, or a lot of us knew, obviously this is, didn't make any sense, right? Even if you believe in viruses, which I really, 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 really want your, your audience to, to examine as a belief. Okay. Cause it's, it's a religious belief. There is not real science back there. But even if you believed in viruses, it was super obvious that masks wouldn't do anything, right? 
but it was this great thing that you could just do and, and you could claim that you're helping people and you're helping your grandma and your mom and your dad and all this stuff. So they, um, you know, this stuff doesn't just fall out of the sky. You know, I mean, like talk about the history of medicine. I mean, why, you know, why is there a virology lab in Wuhan? What happened to the history of Chinese medicine, right? Well, Rockefeller spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, over the last 75 years recreating the, the Rockefeller system of medicine in China. You know, it's like it, none of it's an accident. And um, we just have to figure out how to, like, you know, play ball with these guys. Yeah, you got to spread knowledge, man. And it even gets tricky in that aspect because you look at recently people who are trying to spread knowledge. You go with, um, you know, Alex Jones, obviously, uh, James O'Keefe recently with Project Veritas, Kanye West. You know, I know he was saying some ludicrous stuff, but he's been silent, man. Like all these people have been silent right around the same time. Not only that, Andrew Tate, I'm, and I'm not saying I, I, I agree with everything Andrew Tate says, but he does try and break people away from the matrix. You have, like I said, Andrew Tate, Kanye West, and James O'Keefe all within like the same month and a half silenced. Just they're, they're gone. They're nowhere to be found. And you try and play ball with these guys, and this is the type of things that happen. You know, unfortunately. You know, so it, it, I want to go against the grain and try and play ball, but it just seems like in the end you're going to end up being silenced in some fashion or another. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the sad truth. I, one of the doctors that I reached out to, actually one of the very first people, um, was this, uh, was this, um, gynecologist, uh, named Nancy, uh, Turner Banks. And she, um, she had her, uh, medical degree from Harvard and, you know, she had also gotten an MBA from Harvard while she was getting her medical degree. And she had, um, gone on to become a gynecologist and then, uh, when the whole AIDS story broke in the eighties, she was like, well, I better, um, I better get up to speed on this because, you know, I have patients and might have, you know, the sexually transmitted disease, you know, I better learn, better read all the scientific articles on it. And <laughs> she, she couldn't believe her, her eyes when she realized that actually there was no science behind the HIV equals AIDS claim. And, uh, she was like, what? what's going on here? So she started digging a little bit deeper and discovered the, the fraud behind the claim that, that AIDS was caused by the so-called, a, a, a so-called virus HIV. And, um, she ended up writing, um, two books about it, a popular book for the country and a medical book for medical professionals saying like, Hey, this is, this is a scam. Like we need to help. We need to actually help these sick people and not, hurt them because the government's actually killing them with AZT. And, um, and, uh, and so I had been really blown away by her work and I'd read her books. And, um, and so I, I said, Hey, I really love to have you tell your story, you know? And she just wrote back to me and she was like, look, you know, uh, nobody's ever going to let you tell this story. You know, you'll, it, it, she, she was so depressed that she had given up her medical practice and she had left the country and um, because she had already fought this war in the 90s and she had seen how ruthless uh, Fauci and the pharmaceutical companies could be. 
Um, but there's a new generation now. And because they took that same scam with, and, and they made it around the whole world, you know, they, they, they pissed off a lot of people. And I, I do think that um, if we really understood how massive we are, um, we could have some power. 100%, man. That's 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 one hundred right there. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I'm and I'm curious what the percentage of, percentage of us it is in the United States. You know, I, I maybe twenty percent of eighteen plus. You know, are going to see the bullshit that's going on. I, I, maybe it's higher than that. I would hope so. But if seventy one million people really voted for Biden or even Trump in, in in that regard, I mean, what kind of hope really is there? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Trump with I mean, Operation I, I, Warp Speed. What's that? It said Trump with Operation Warp Speed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, <laughs> be careful what you wish for kind of thing. You know, now he's pushing like freedom cities, which seems a whole lot like the, you know, 20, 30, you know, 15 minute cities yep. thing as a total, you know, tangent and whatnot. But, um, it's 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 a weird weird world i mean even like you know even rfk jr who um has done like great work um you know organizing people and creating a kind of new um media organizational empire or mini mini empire fighting this thing i mean even he won't admit that um, there's, he, he won't even touch the virus story because, and, and his organization won't touch it because they're, uh, I don't know why. I mean, they, they, they won't, when they explain themselves, they get super mealy mouthed or, or like Merkela, you know, or any of these so-called, um, alternative health, um, uh, media figures. Um, even, even they won't just like call it like it is and just speak honestly. And it's really disturbing without a doubt. But there's, again, this, you know, the way they, the way their system works, they, they want to scare us. They know that how we think and, and how we feel ultimately determines the world because if they didn't, they wouldn't bother scaring us. They wouldn't bother propagandizing us. Um, and, you know, so you never know what's going to come around the corner in terms of our own ability to organize and, 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 and speak out and create media organizations. And you know what I mean? Like, did Joe Rogan ever think he'd become Joe Rogan? Probably not. You know, like, who knows? That's true. You just got to keep pushing along, man. Yeah, we're rocking. I never on. thought I'd, I never thought I'd make a documentary like this. You know what I mean? No, I'm excited. Never, never occurred to me. I'm excited. Now, now I'm like more proud of this than I, of anything else I've done in my life besides having a child. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm probably I'm going to purchase it tonight and, and watch a little bit. How long in total is it? So it's five episodes. Uh, all in total, seven and a half hours. Holy moly! Yeah. No, I'm. Um, and if if you 
if you don't know this story inside and out already, it's serious. It's going to like your socks will go flying off. Like you, your mind's going to be blown. And because I, I can speak from experience, like it took me, you know, it took me like, uh, what, like 10 years of, of research to understand the background of this whole story. And then, you know, two years of, of my eyeballs falling out of my skull. Like, wow, that's fascinating. I mean, you should, you know, like go, God, I can't remember his name now. I think it's Robert. Um, damn it. I forgot his name. But there was like, like most people probably haven't seen this. There was like a doctor in the eighties who was trying to um, get the word out about the, the scam uh, surrounding AIDS and the scam again, just so people understand the scam is Fauci and the pharmaceuticals companies claim that there was a virus called HIV that caused AIDS. Okay. There really were people getting sick, okay? People, sickness is real. The stories that were told about why people get sick, that's where the scams come in, okay? So there was a doctor, Robert something, um, and uh, he was so desperate to get this out because he saw people literally killing themselves because they thought that HIV was the cause of AIDS and they thought they could take this drug called AZT, which would kill HIV, and they'd get better, but they didn't get better. They died because the AZT is a super toxic chemical. And he was so desperate to get the word out that he went around the country with a friend of his who the medical system claimed was HIV positive. And he would, in front of a room of reporters, take a, uh, a needle and he would extract the guy's blood and then he would inject himself with it. He was like, I've got to show you that this is not how people are getting sick. And you can watch him. I mean, he's probably been taken off of YouTube, but you can probably find him on BitChute. You know, there's a million stories like that of people who really tried to get the word out, but they were completely destroyed by this media campaign that, that Fauci is one of the main consigliaries of. But, um, Again, you know, history has not been lost on all of us. I mean, there's like books from 100 years ago that are like trending now because they were written with such insight. You know, like one of the things that I like I'm, I'm proud of in the documentary is, you know, um, going back and telling people about like doctors from 75 years ago who tried to tell the country that no, nobody knows now, but we're, we're going to help tell their story again. And like, and then people will tweet about that and be like, Hey, did you know, do you know that this Dr. Mobes and this other Dr. Scobie tried to tell the country that polio was actually DDT poisoning. It was not caused by a virus. Right. But, or Charles Creighton, you know, who was this like incredible doctor in, in, um, in London, who was, considered a you know one of the most quote-unquote prestigious doctors of his day and he um the encyclopedia britannica came to him because he was held in such high prestige and they said would you write the britannica article on uh smallpox vaccination and he said, yeah that that sounds great and so he ordered all the data and went to this 
you know, statistics bureaus and, and put all the data together. And, um, and then he wrote an article for the Britannica and he said, after having studied the data on smallpox vaccination, I can say, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I could say that smallpox vaccination is a myth. It's not effective whatsoever. The data shows clearly that um, it, 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 it had no impact whatsoever on, on smallpox. And um, he was, uh, you know, roundly attacked and he refused to back down. And what happened? Actually, what happened was that uh, Rockefeller bought the Encyclopedia Britannica, shut it down, and then brought it back. It skipped. It was supposed to come out every four years. It skipped a cycle, and then it came out eight years later under new editorship and had completely removed Charles Creighton's article. Can you find the original one, though, the one that he actually wrote that? You, you can you can find articles about Creighton um, and the the writing of this article. Yeah, the okay. writing of the encyclopedia. Yeah, um, uh, there's a book called um, "What Really Makes You Ill" uh, by Don Lester and David Parker, and they wrote about it. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I think they they've got the data on that. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming you've listened to some some Crow as well. Then at that point. Um, so yeah, I mean, Crow's on my radar. Um, I, I, he's kind of such an interesting figure. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get into him, but I haven't like, um, like, uh, I watched his thing on, on, uh, like objects in the sky that are not satellites that are. Yeah. That's some of his older stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm super into. I think that that stuff's amazing. Cause I like firsthand observation. Um, and, and, and then you take apart, take it apart. What does it mean? You know what I mean, right? Um, so I'm, I'm, I've whole, I've only heard good things about him. Well, he's actually I'm super frustrated with that. He's actually, video. he's actually interviewed the two authors on, on that, that book. What makes you ill? Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. that's and, awesome. And he's been on and on Talk Junkies three times as well. So he's he's a great guy. Oh, sweet. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, rock on, man. We're a little bit over the hour, man, and there's a lot of information. So I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? People got such short mind spans. But before I let you go, man, definitely uh, tell us where we can find you. And uh, where we can find your documentary, and I'll definitely put the links below. But if you got any plugs or anything? No, oh, thanks. Um, yeah, so you can see the documentary at theviraldelusion.com, theviraldelusion.com, and um, you know the first two and a half hours free. And then if you're like, wow, that was actually really cool. I actually really like that. Um, you can see the whole seven and a half hours for eleven ninety nine. Um, and um, you can also just go to bit shoot and steal it and watch one of the 50 stolen copies. But it'd be awesome if you went to my website and, 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 and bought it. Um, I have a sub stack, but I don't write very much for it. Um, and uh, now I just hope that, that, that people can see the doc and that they can, um, if they're not aware of this aspect of the fraud, that they can dive in and enjoy themselves. Um, and uh that's it. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So all of, this is definitely not YouTube friendly, so it's not going to go. I'll, I'll upload a video on YouTube saying, hey, come check it out. Um, I'll probably do the audio version uh, on Spotify and iTunes. They seem to be a little bit more lenient on these types of subjects. Um, mm. So it'll shoot you to the audio portion. And then if you're okay with it, I just want to double check and make sure um, anything that you've said on this podcast, I, I'm able to do on a TikTok. 
like a third. Yeah. yeah sure. Okay, cool. Because that's where we're, I'm having most of our six. We're having most of our success on TikTok. We're up to like right, right around 13,000 followers on TikTok. I just have to find a way to navigate, um, navigate some of the things because when it comes to medical stuff and COVID, man, they take that shit down on TikTok real quick. Um, yeah. So I have to find bits and pieces throughout the conversation that wouldn't that would that would turn people to your documentary. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Which I will do a great job of finding that clip. So. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we had, maybe we, we could be bleeped out the way they used to bleep out, you know, curse words. You could just, you know, like, oh, if you get sick, we beep. Yeah. You know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Beep, you know? yeah. But um, I'm sure you'll find a way. I think, like, we're all, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. We're all on the ground figuring out ways to uh, talk to each other again. Yes, sir. Well, rock on, Michael. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for joining Talk Junkies. You have a, a fantastic rest of your day, man. You too, man. Thank you, brother. Cheers. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Wallach uh, joining Talk Junkies. It was a, it was a pleasure, a great conversation. Um, you know, the, there's nothing new under the sun, that's for sure. But uh, definitely check out his documentary and thank all our, our, our junkies for uh, listening out there. Gosh, I can't talk. The best thing you can do for this podcast, like, share, subscribe to all our junkies out there. Stay fly and ring the bell.